Welcome to Barah Ministries, an intimate local Christian church with worldwide impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark. Welcome to this Bible lesson. At Barah Ministries, we know this truth, that Jesus Christ is God. As Lord, He is 100% deity. He is God the Son, a member of the triune Godhead. He is also 100% human, just like you and me, and His name is Jesus Christ. The Lord, God the Son, became flesh, Jesus Christ. And he lived among us. He is the uniquely born one, which means he is 100% God and 100% man and one person forever. There's nobody ever like that, and there never will be anybody like that. He is the sovereign God of the universe, and he is the Jewish Messiah. At Barah Ministries, we make a difference by teaching the Word of God from God's perspective and not from man's perspective. That sentence helped a friend of mine this morning to get absolutely clear about how to write lessons in his church. He was asking me about the Apostles' Creed, and we read it together. And I said, you know, the magic of, of being a pastor is you can evaluate things in a really simple framework. My simple framework is, where does it say that in the Bible? And is it God's perspective, or is it man's perspective? Whenever I read a book that's written by a human being about God, I just ask a simple question. Is this God's perspective, or is it man's perspective? I ask, is this written by an unbeliever, or is it written by a believer? Because believe it or not, probably about 80% of the books on Christianity are written by unbelievers. How do you like that? And you can always tell, because there's a left turn. It'll be going right down the path of truth, and then boom, left turn where they inject that human stuff in it, destructive heresies designed to trick you. And so you have to have the truth to be able to discern the counterfeit. At Barah Ministries, we make a difference by teaching the Word of God from God's perspective and not from man's perspective. And as those who make Barah Ministries our spiritual home, we are Christians. And being a Christian means that we believe in the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't just believe he was a good teacher. We don't believe he was just a good prophet. We don't believe he was just a good rabbi. We don't believe that he's like Mohammed and all the other learned men over the years. He is God. That's what we believe. And we have a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with him, and that relationship matters. God has an enemy, Satan, whom God made the ruler of this world. He is a liar who deceives the whole world, including you and me. He doesn't want us to get to know God, and he interferes with our chance to know God. And how does he do that? He introduces confusion. In John chapter 12, verse 31, it confirms, the Lord confirms that he is the ruler of this this world. It says, now judgment is upon the world. Now the ruler of this world, Satan, will be cast out. He will, and cast out means he will be dethroned at a future time. 
cast out means he will be thrown into the inner darkness. He will be the third person in t- thrown into the lake of fire. Now, Satan's strategy against the human race is religion, which is designed to make us either indifferent or antagonistic to God. What is religion? The best lie that I could ever tell you is one that is 90% true. I mix in the lie in the midst of the truth. And that's what a counterfeit is. Counterfeit bills look just like real bills. But when they're teaching bank tellers to identify counterfeit bills, they never give them counterfeit bills. They give them real bills. This is what a real bill looks like. And when you know what the real bill looks like, you will be able to spot the difference, the left turn, the counterfeit. Well, here is the real bill, the Word of God, the Bible. That's the real bill. And if you know this, you'll spot the counterfeit. And religion is a counterfeit. Oh, this is a Christian religion. There's no such thing as a Christian religion. Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship. There's no such thing as a Christian religion. That's a joke. So Matthew chapter 23, verse 15, the Lord says this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. And you know, people always tell me, Pastor, why do you use expletives? Why do you swear? Well, because I like it. (laughs) Because they're really cool words. But then the first thing I do is I take them right here to Matthew chapter 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, makes the F word look like kindergarten words. That is the the worst thing that you could ever say to a person is woe to you, as it translates from the Greek, see? So everybody who wants to paint Jesus as a wimp, he wasn't. He was pretty expletive-laced in his criticism of religious Pharisees who were, in his words, hypocrites, people who talk behind a mask, phony, talk from behind a mask, phonies, who pretend to be one thing up front, but they're really uh, something else in the background. He said in one of the verses in Matthew 23, uh, he said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you whitewashed tombs. You're beautiful on the outside but inside you're full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. That's the way he describes religion. Matthew chapter 23, verse 15. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel around on the land to make one convert to your religion, and when he becomes converted, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. That's exactly what religion does. Religion deceives many into thinking that they are saved when they might not be, and it works really well. Billions of people are deceived. As a matter of fact, I would guess that of the 7 million people on the earth, 6 6 billion of them are deceived. And those who are deceived by religion don't stop to examine the doctrines of their religion to look for the deception by comparing their religious doctrines to Bible doctrines. Well, the Word of God, the Bible, is the truth, and it informs us about Satan's insidious deceptions. And as believers in Christ, we are in union with Christ, and we have the victory over Satan through our Lord, who has overcome the world. Today's Bible lesson, God prefers that we value the differences between each other. God prefers that we value the differences between each other. You've heard it said that birds of a feather flock together. 
we tend to like being around people who are like us. I will tell you the one thing that I would never want is to spend a lot of my time around people who are like me. Amen? You should have been a little louder with that. Amen. I don't want to be around people who are like me. As a matter of fact, it drives me crazy. It's the Lord's wish that there might not be division in the body. Instead, that the members will have genuine concern for one another. You know, here in Barah Ministries, we kid each other a lot, but there's genuine concern for others. And there's a lot of genuine concern that happens in the background. And when some of, one of our members is struggling, there are people who come to that person's aid and they don't get any recognition for it, nor do they want any. And they go way out of their way for others. And that's what I love about the people in this congregation. We go way out of our way for others, and nobody's, you know, we're not talking about it all the time. We're not, oh, Sister Joan, Sister Joan did, gave this amount of money today, and we used that money to help one of our unfortunate members. We're not doing all that crap. It's just happening in the background because there's one believer who cares for another. That's what the Lord expects of us. There is no insignificant or inconsequential person in God's plan, and especially among believers in Christ. There is no insignificant spiritual gift in God's plan. A well-functioning body requires many members and many spiritual gift functions. If you were working out, what if you only worked your biceps? You'd be pretty strong. You'd have these big, strong biceps. You could point and tell where everybody where the beach was, but then your belly's hanging over your belt. Amen? I got rid of my belly. I used to look like a hippopotamus. I'm so glad I got rid of that belly. So it wouldn't, you wouldn't look really good. You'd look flabby if you just worked on one part of your body. We're studying Paul's first letter to the believers at Corinth, people who had a distorted view of how God operates. A distorted view of how God operates leads to a distorted view about people. For example, if you think God is partial, if you think God can be bribed, then you'll think being partial or elitist is okay. As in, my spiritual gift makes me better than you because you have a lesser spiritual gift. Instead, when we look at others, God wants us to ask, what's the unique thing that God placed this person here to do? When your kids are acting like goofballs, just ask yourself a question. What is the unique thing that God placed this person here to do? And that will give you a whole different perspective on the little goofball. And then when we look at ourselves, God wants us to ask, what is the unique thing God placed me here to do? And then you will find out very quickly that it was to kill your child after having him. Amen? That was a joke. All right, so in today's, le- <laughs> so in today's lesson, Paul gives us instruction on how to handle differences in a congregation especially the differences between spiritual gifts. And he wants us to handle them with love instead of with elitism. Well, in John chapter, let's hear some music. In John chapter 15, verse 5, the Lord says, I, the Lord Jesus Christ, am the vine. My my dad owns the vineyard. You believers in Christ are the branches 
that are hanging from the vine. Now the believer who abides in me and I indwelling him, that believer bears much fruit. The, 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 the believer, the branch, is not going to bear much fruit unless it's attached to the vine. Amen? But apart from me, the Lord says, you can do nothing. Well, Danny Gokey says it this way in his song. Lord, what's life if you ain't in it? I've got things that I thought I filled my heart up Sitting on top winning But that ain't winning I've chased all the good stuff All the bad stuff Stuff the world calls living But that ain't living Hey, don't really matter what I do Hey, don't mean nothing without you Heavenly Father, for the privilege of studying your absolute truth, the Word of God. Father, thank you for treating us as equals, even though we are not. Thank you for valuing us, 
even though we are flawed in our thinking and our actions. Thank you for demonstrating unconditional love toward us so that we can model it. Help us to keep on seeing our lives from your point of view. Show us how to be a reflection of your will and let the fruit of the Spirit radiate from within us so that we draw people to Christ. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Say it with me. Amen. Amen. Today's Bible lesson, God prefers that we value differences between each other. God prefers that we value differences between each other. Just a quick note to those of you who don't listen to the announcements. I wanted to say this within the, um, the lesson so that you will go listen to the announcements. There are a lot of cool things that uh, come across in the announcements. So please listen to the announcements and the lesson when you're listening to Barah Ministries lessons. Well, we continue our study of 1 Corinthians at chapter 12. We're going to finish that chapter up today. Uh, This chapter is part of a three-chapter message that Paul uh, is giving. He's addressing the spiritually gifted ones, quote-unquote, the people in the Corinthian church who are being elitist about their spiritual gift. And in essence, they're saying, my spiritual gift is better than yours. Now, in Barah Ministries, the example would be me being elitist about my spiritual gift because we know that the gift of pastor-teacher is the highest spiritual gift that exists today. And so my gift is definitely better than yours. Amen? <laughs> Good. That's something you didn't say amen to. So you, but you know what? It's not like you said didn't say amen because you were saying no. It's just you don't like saying amen when I ask for an amen. Amen? amen. That leaves a brother hanging. You can't, you can't be leaving people hanging like that. So anyway... Yeah, but that's an example of elitism. If I thought that my gift was somehow special and yours was lesser, then that would be elitism, and that's what was going on in the Corinthian church. And what Paul is addressing is how stupid that is. That's not the way God looks at things at all. And so you should, you know, we've spent a lot of time, we probably spent five or six lessons on this chapter 12, setting up this 12, 13, 14 set of chapters And so at the end of today, it'll make total sense to you why all that setup was going on because chapter 12 leads perfectly into what is foundational in the use of your spiritual gift, which is love. And all of you have been exposed to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 if you've ever been to a wedding. Love is patient, love is kind, love does not put on airs. You've heard that a a million times, but you didn't know what it was really saying. Because it wasn't talking about lighter fluid love. It wasn't talking about romantic love. It was talking about the kind of love that sustains things when things get out of whack. And so uh, today we're going to finish up chapter 12 so we can tee it up to get into chapters 13 and 14. So here are the verses that we have studied so far. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 to 14. It says this, For even as the body is one, your body is an independent unit that stands alone, Yet it has many members, parts of the body that are dependent on each other. The right hand, dependent on the left hand when you have to pick something up. And all of the members are part of the body. And though they are many, they are one body. They're cooperating interdependently. So also is Christ, one in unity with the body of Christ. He's the head and we're the body, the church. Christ is the head and believers in Christ are the body. The Latin expression of this sentiment is e pluribus unum. 
E pluribus unum. And you're probably scratching your head saying, where have I seen that before? On the back of a dollar bill, hello. It is E pluribus unum? Yeah, I, he did mention that, didn't he? That's really good. Toto 2? Yeah, of course, the only movie that people from Kansas have ever seen is The Wizard of Oz. Amen? All right, well, E pluribus unum. We got 60 people in the congregation from Kansas. They're all, you know, they're all wide-eyed. Oh, the Chiefs next week. The Chiefs in the Super Bowl again. Oh, my God. So, anyway, the Latin expression e pluribus unum is actually the motto of the United States of America. In the United States, there are many states, but one country. From one, many. We're in union whether we operate that way or not, and we absolutely don't operate that way. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, For by one God, God the Holy Spirit, we believers in Christ were all baptized into one body, the body of Christ, through the baptism of the Spirit, which means that we believers in Christ have been placed into union with Christ. That's what the baptism of the Spirit is. Whether we're Jews or Greeks, we are racially diverse, whether we are slaves or free, we are socially diverse, and we were all made to drink from one Holy Spirit in unity. And that's an interesting analogy that we'll see again, this drink analogy. Now, what that verse is saying is that baptism, the baptism of the Spirit, not the baptism of getting yourself dunked in water and almost drowned to publicly acknowledge that you're a believer in Christ, whatever, why you would ever want to do that, I don't know. But baptism washes away the things that divide us. Once we are baptized by the Holy Spirit and placed into union with Christ, we become members of the body of Christ. And being in Christ takes social, gender, and racial distinctions out of play. If you are a racist and a Christian, there is a part of you that is flawed. We don't look at things that way as Christians. We look at things the way the Lord looks at things, and he doesn't say, well, you know, we're not letting the blacks into heaven. Oh, my God. As a matter of fact, the blacks are going to be overrunning heaven. Amen? Amen. So if you don't like black people, you better get used to it while you're down here because there are going to be a lot of black people in heaven. There are going to be a lot of poor people in heaven. So if you don't like poor people, you better get used to it because there are going to be a lot of poor people in heaven. Poor on the earth, but rich in heaven. Amen? All right, so anyway, racial distinctions out of play. There is no partiality with God. And by the way, Romans chapter 5, verse 5 uses the drink analogy of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13 as well. Here's what it says. It says, and hope does not disappoint. The four verses before this, four of my favorite verses. This Romans chapter 5, verse 1 to 5 passage is empowering. Hope does not disappoint. Hope is the absolute confidence that we have as believers in Christ of a very secure future. Hope in Greek is powerful. It means absolute confidence. It's not like English. I hope so, which means I know it's never going to happen. Hope does not disappoint because the unconditional love of God the Father, as if it is a drink, has been poured out within our hearts through God the Holy Spirit, who was given to us believers in Christ by God the Father as a pledge of our inheritance. What did God the Holy Spirit do when you said, I believe in Christ? 
And by the way, that's how you get to heaven. You tell God the Father that you believe in Christ. And then what did God the Holy Spirit do from that point on? He took that signal, that weak positive signal that is not effective for salvation, and he made it effective for salvation by placing you into union with Christ through the baptism of the Spirit. And then he signed a certificate the sealing ministry of God, the Holy Spirit. He FedExed that certificate to the throne room of heaven to certify that you have been saved. And God the Father walks through the halls of heaven every day announcing your name and telling everybody in heaven that you're coming one day. And some of you are coming right soon. Amen? June, amen? What? Huh? First Corinthians chapter 12. <laughs> we should be so lucky. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14. You watch the watch the video. You'll see what I said. You were you were into this. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14. For the body is not one member. It's many members. Some members are weak, some members are strong, but all of us are one. So let's continue our verse-by-verse study at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 15. Here's what it says. If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not part of the body. It's not any less a part of the body, is it? And that not is ook in Greek, the strongest not. Not no way, not no how. If the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I am not part of the body, it's not no way, not no how that way, is it? That's what the verse says. And the answer is no. And if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I am not part of the body, it is ook, not any less a part of the body, is it? Not no way, not no how. The parts of the body can be jealous of each other if they want, but it doesn't make them any less a part of the body. And see, that's what we don't have in our heads as human beings. It's that very thing that we don't have in our heads as human beings. We let people make us feel inferior because the country of origin that our parents came from or because of our gender or because of our, uh, our skin color. We believe. See, the problem is we believe what the world is saying to us. I don't. You can tell me, Rory, you're black. You are never going anywhere. That's what my family told me. Because most of the blacks in my family are light-skinned blacks with good hair. Amen? And I was the dark spot in the family, and it was like, you're never going to be anything. You, you would not believe how many times people said that to me in my family, my relatives, and my mom was one of 18 kids, and so I have a lot of cousins, a lot of uncles and aunts. They're all dead, thank God. Amen? (laughs) God took them home. God took them home. Order that other place. Amen? (laughs) But you, you just wouldn't believe. You just wouldn't believe it. And, and you, I know you believe it because you all have families. And there are always those people in your family who are just, who, who is almost their mission in life to tell you you're never going to be anything. But see, it's not effective until you believe it. And your problem is you do. You do because what they're saying to you correlates 
with the flesh in you, which is saying the same thing to you every day. Well, you go, you get up, and what, what's the first? We go in the mirror, we turn to the side. Oh, it didn't melt off. We look at ourselves. We got bad breath, snot rolling out of our nose, crust over here, crust in our eyes, and we say to ourselves, "You didn't get any better like, overnight. The sleep didn't help, right?" And we believe it, and that's got to stop. At a point in your life, you just have to let that stop. You have to let that voice talk. It's not going to stop talking. But what you're going to say to it is, thanks for sharing. John 8, you are of your father the devil. He was a liar from the beginning, and he's the one who keeps on fathering lies. Whatever you say, the opposite is true. There has to be a point in your life where you do that, where you stop beating yourself up. It is not useful. It is not helpful. And you're not Roman Catholics, amen? You don't have to do penance. When you die, you're not going to purgatory. There's no such thing. Jesus Christ paid for every sin you'd ever commit, past, present, and future. You don't need to go to a place for additional cleansing of sin. That's crazy. That's a direct attack on the character of God. It's crazy. It's some of the people that, that I respect the most in the world believe that crap. 1 Corinthians 12, 16. I, I did that one, didn't I, about the ear? 1 Corinthians 12, 17. So if the whole body were an eye, where would be the ability for hearing? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? See, there are cool parts of the body, and, and they are not greater than the not-so-cool parts of the body. Don't believe me? One heart valve malfunction can cause a stroke. I have what's called non what is it? Non valve related atrial fibrillation. I think that's what it is. My heart beats funny. So once you hit 65, you know, that becomes a gigantic risk factor for stroke. So they give you a blood thinner. So it reduces the chances of blood clots. So when the blood's passing through that valve that's kind of whack, you don't have a stroke. And it reduces the possibility of stroke by about 66%. I'll take those odds. See, that's a medication. I'll take those odds. I don't want to have a stroke. Except on the golf course. Amen. <laughs> Come on, Zach, give me one. Right. Yeah, give me one on that. Come on. Thank you very much. But no, I, you know, I watched my mom had a stroke when she was 70 years old, and I watched, she, she rehabbed really well. But that's the worst. You got to learn how to walk again. You got to learn how to talk again. You got to learn how to take care of yourself again. I don't want to learn all that stuff over again. I already know it. So, but... So my heart valves matter. They're really tiny. I don't see them ever, but they matter. Because they, if they don't work, you're in big trouble. So there are cool people in a congregation, yet they're not any better than the not-so-cool members of the congregation. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Revenge of the Nerds, but it's a great movie, and there's Revenge of the Nerds 1, 2, and 3. And every time I would watch that new movie, those movies, I would cry. 
And Zach's mom used to say, why, why are you crying over these movies? And I said, well, I, I feel really sorry for nerds. She said, well, you're a nerd. I said, I am not a nerd. She said, yeah. Generally speaking, any guy who has studied sales for 30 years couldn't possibly be a nerd. All right, then I had to acknowledge. I had to come correct. I'm a nerd, right? And it's funny because in college, the nerds were the kids I hung out with. I already told you about my girlfriends. They had one eyebrow and the hair under their arms, so they were nerds, right? And I just relate to nerds. And so there are always the cool people and the nerds. But the nerds are the ones, you know, one of the cool things about hanging out with the nerds is when I had any trouble with my homework, they would look at me like I was dumb. They couldn't figure out why I didn't understand everything that was going on in the class, and then they would proceed to give me an extra lesson. And that was awesome. That's pretty exciting. So in a congregation, there are nerds. I'm not going to take out the list and go through the list, amen people who sing songs in their head all the time. Yeah, I'm not going to talk about that. But look, God doesn't want us to flaunt our spiritual gift, and God doesn't want us to belittle the spiritual gifts of another. God doesn't want us to be jealous of the spiritual gift of another. Yet, the human malady, especially in the Corinthian congregation, is to do all three of these things. And all it is is immaturity. That's what Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I can't speak to you, brethren, as I would speak to the mature. I have to speak to you as if you are carnal. And carnal means immature. I have to speak to you like you're babies in Christ. Because you're acting like that. You're acting like unbelievers, as a matter of fact. So Paul wants the Corinthian believers to learn that every member of the body is a valuable member of the body. And that God placed each member and each spiritual gift in the body for a purpose. Everybody in here has a spiritual gift. Are you using it for the benefit of this body? Because your spiritual gift is special. Each spiritual gift provides a special kind of nourishment within the body of Christ. Do you think of your gift as special? Do you think of yourself as special? If not... It's unlikely that you will seek to learn about your spiritual gift. That exactly, it's unlikely that you will see yourself as special to God. And that's exactly why Satan is always introducing doubt into you. Because he doesn't want you to know how special you are. He doesn't want you to use the special talent that God gave you. And remember, your supernatural, your, your spiritual gift is supernatural. You know, there's the gift of giving, for example, a per- I give, but I don't give like people who have the gift of giving give. Those people are off the hook. You look at them and you say, what are you, nuts? Why did you give all that? Well, they're giving from their gift. They can't even help it. And that's amazing. When you get people in the congregation doing what they do. It's the same with teaching. Teaching, I'll teach anything to anybody, anytime. I love teaching. It's, it is who I am. It's not what I do. It's a, it's a passion that's buried in me. I, there's no way I could not do it. I would suffocate if I didn't teach. So Satan sows the seeds of division 
within you and within a, guy, uh, a congregation because he doesn't want you to see the special in you. But God knows you and your special gift are special because he made you special. You're special to God. And unfortunately for you, you forget. You're so busy listening to that voice inside of you that tells you you're a piece of crap that you forget that you're special to God. I don't forget that. I get up every day. I look in the mirror and I say, there he is, Mr. Wonderful. Don't you think so, God? And God shakes his head. Amen? Yeah, you're laughing. You're laughing, but that's exactly what I do, and that's what you ought to be doing. At a point. And what's the point? The point is when you figure it out, that you're special to God. Oh, well, that's not humble. Oh, shucks, geez, I just won the lottery, $300 million. Oh, shucks, it's nothing. You ain't ever see me do that. If I win the lottery, $300 million, I'm going to be running up and down uh, Mesa naked telling everybody. Amen? And I am not keeping it to myself. Amen? Not keeping it to myself. What do you mean, don't do it? All right, I'll put some clothes on. I got a part in here about putting clothes on. It's coming up in a second. You know, in marriages, Satan sows seeds of division by convincing wives that being in submission to their husbands is weak. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 to 24 say this to wives. Wives, be in submission to your own husbands, just as you are in submission to the Lord. Oops. See, wives, be in submission to your own husband, just as you're in submission to the Lord. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Busted! Why? Because in God's plan, there is a structure of authority. For what reason? Protection. Oh, I don't need any protection. Let's defund the police. Yeah, let's, let's definitely do that. What idiots. Defund the police. I think there was a, the governor of Texas says any city that defunds the police is going to get defunded. Amen. Defund the police. What we ought to be thinking about as it relates to the police is how is it that there are a hundred times the criminals that there are police and they keep crime under control? How do they do that? That's supernatural. And we're going to take them away? Yeah, right. Ephesians 5.23, back to wives. For the husband is the head of the wife, just as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. Now, the husband is the head of the wife. What that says in the Greek is the wife is the possession of her husband. Amen? Amen. No. No, there's no It's this. Union. The two become one flesh. You're not only, you're a possession of each other, but the husband is the boss of the possession. Why? Structure of authority for, for protection. You ain't ever going to hear me soft soap this. Because that's necessary. And I have worked for some of the strongest women in business ever. See, you can't look at me and tell that I've taught in 30 countries, that I've taught in over 300 companies, and I've taught uh, some, some of the most powerful people in the high-tech industry, many of them women. And one of the things that I, you know, I can think of five women 
who know how they're built. God built women as responders. So now when a woman's in a CEO spot and I'm interacting with her, I'm in submission to her. So I'll go to her and I'll say, what is it that you want in the matter of your sales force? She said, I want you to give me a proposal that I can respond to. I said, well, I can do that. I'm certainly going to do that. But what I really like to know is what you want. She said, what I want is you to give me a proposal that I can respond to. Now, these are powerful women, but they know what their strength is, and their strength is responding. So I put together a proposal that she could respond to, and then she started telling me everything. See, the response was her telling me everything. I said, this is what I think you ought to do with your sales force. Initiate, and what does she do? Respond. And if I told you the names of those women, your mouth would fly open, because they're some of the most powerful women. One of them ran for president some of the most powerful women in business who knew who they are. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 24. But just as the church is in submission to Christ, and we are the church, we're the church-age believers, so also wives ought to be in submission to their own husbands and everything, own part. Wives tend to be good at being in submission to other people's husbands, right? But not own husbands. Amen? All right. So what is submission? Submission is being under the rule of a sovereign. It's being under the rule of sovereign. Okay. Authority without freedom is tyranny, dictatorship. Freedom without authority, chaos. In God's plan, authority and freedom live simultaneously. So you want to see a marriage in chaos? It's a marriage where the wife isn't in submission to the husband. It'll be a, a marriage in chaos. Now, often people want, don't want to do their assigned function. They want to usurp the function of another. So you got the spiritual gift of songs, and then you want to be the pastor. Amen? No. Do your job. You were placed here as special, just like my hand was placed here to write with and to pick stuff up. Parts of you were put here. Each one of you was a part of this congregation, and you were put here to do your job. We have a person in this congregation who is part of the elder board who doesn't talk much in the meetings. But if you ask something of this person, the person will do it. And so this person, when we were having problems with the computer, and this person said to me, hey, I'm going to give $1,000 for new computers if we need new computers. And I said, well, thank you. That's very generous. Will that be cash or credit card? <laughs> and so it turned out that we didn't need the new computers. It's looking like we do again, but it turns out we didn't need it. And this person said, well, I don't care. Take the money and put it in the savings account, and when we need it, we'll use it. That's how you use a spiritual gift. He wanted to contribute, and he wasn't asking me if he could contribute. He was telling me he was going to con contribute, and then he did it because he wanted to. I had to go to him and say, all right, in, uh, in donation circles, they have this thing called the ask. 
you go to other people and you do the ask. I didn't have to do the ask. Because when people are operating in their spiritual gift, they just do the thing. Because they're so compelled supernaturally to do the things that the thing that they can't even not do the thing. June can't stop the songs coming into her head. That's supernatural. And when you listen to her songs, and I'm not talking about the singing part, I'm talking about the words. <laughs> You're a great singer, don't get me wrong. <laughs> Yeah, this is one of those days. I'm just feeling funny today. But when you listen to the song, I can't, I honest to God can't believe the words to her songs. I, I go back to her first CD. All of her songs are on the, on the web. I go back to the words of some of the first songs, but she didn't know squat about the Bible. And I just the words were unbelievable. It's supernatural. It's supernatural. And other pastors who listen to her songs, you know, we'll be talking about something and I'll send them a song and they'll go, who wrote that? I said, I think you know. It's unbelievable because it's supernatural. So stay in your lane. Do your job. Now that doesn't mean, stay in your lane doesn't mean that you don't ever, every once in a while, cross over into somebody else's lane. Because sometimes you have to help people. There's, there is the your own lane, the independence. There is the lanes right next to each other, dependent on each other to make a road. And then there's the crossing of the lanes where you help each other. That is what God's plan is all about. So, you know, some people don't want to do their assigned functions. But maybe when you realize that you are in submission, you become one of these I don't want anybody telling me what to do, people. You duplicate Satan's rebellion within yourself. Well, Satan didn't want God telling him what to do. If you don't want anybody telling you what to do, you can never be successful. I don't believe you had me. So I'm going to say it again. If you don't want anybody telling you what to do, you can never be successful. What if somebody didn't tell you the gospel message? And the gospel message is telling you exactly what to do to be saved. It is not God's intention that any of us would feel inferior because of our circumstances, our environment, or our choices. You committed a crime, so what? You're, you're the wrong race, so what? You're the wrong gender, so what? You have a lesser job, so what? You live in the wrong neighborhood, so what? 1 Corinthians 12, 18. But now God the Father has placed the members of the body. Get that up. God the Father. Oh, sorry. God the Father has placed the members of the body, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. God plans that the different parts of the body would work in conjunction to serve the whole body. Thank God this happens every day. Thus, God plans that we would value the spiritual gift differences in spiritual gifts in the body of Christ and that we would use them in conjunction with each other every day. 1 Corinthians 12, 19. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. Body parts are independent. There is dependence among body parts, and body parts are interdependent. So it is with Christians elitism. 
has no place in the plan of God. Paul makes it clear that it is foolish for one Christian to flaunt his spiritual gift as if it's better than another's. Where would we be without each other? 1 Corinthians 12, 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, can it? Or again, the head cannot say to the feet, I have no need of you, can it? Republicans and Democrats. Democrats are taught to hate the rich. Republicans are taught to despise the poor. But do they need each other? If you think the janitor is dispensable, wait until the garbage piles up. If you think there's no need for the owner of a business, wait until the business shuts down and you don't have a job. The pastor is not superior to the congregation members. I don't know who wrote that. (laughs) We need each other. And the attitude of the Corinthian believers was, I'm better than you. During the San Francisco earthquake of 1989, if you went down into the financial district, it was chaos. Everybody was honk, horns honking, traffic was backed up, it was a mess, streets were falling in, cable cars were off the track, it was unbelievable, but there was one intersection in the financial district where the traffic was flowing perfectly. Why? Because a homeless guy walked out into the middle of the street and was directing traffic. And all those people in the financial district, those rich people with the big BMWs and Mercedes-Benz, who wouldn't even spit on this guy when he was on the street, were listening to him, following his directions, and marveling at the fact that he had gotten up and used his leadership without anybody telling him to direct the traffic in that intersection, and it was running and flowing perfectly as if he was the perfect traffic light. That's exactly how spiritual gifts are designed to work in a congregation. And you never know who's going to be the one in the congregation who's going to bring the exact thing that the congregation needs that is the exact key. But like I told you last week, it's always going to be the geek kid. It's always going to be the one. Every championship basketball team I ever had, the geek kid was the one who scored the winning point because I prepared him the whole year for being the one who put that basket in at the right time, where everybody was doubting him, and then he put it in. So, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 22. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body, which seem to be weaker, are necessary. The body can survive without some body parts. It can survive without eyes, without ears, without legs, without feet, but not without others, the heart, the brain, the lungs. 1 Corinthians 12, 23. And these members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow much more honor, and our less presentable members become much more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. The people who are flaunting their spiritual gifts think, because they have the gift of tongues, for example, that they're all that, and they think they don't need the gift of administrations or the gifts of exhortation or the other gifts. They are wrong. And Paul is talking in this analogy in 1223 in the Greek about the unseen body parts like the genitals. Isn't it funny that those things that appear to be weak have value? The unseen gifts are just as important as the seen gifts. So think about the care we take to cover our genitals. Think about the care we take to protect our genitals when we're in a sporting event. We have devices to put over the different gentle parts of our body so that we don't get hurt. So we are to so are we 
to be in care for every part of the body and especially in the body of Christ. There are deacons in this congregation. There are deaconesses in this congregation. They operate in the background and they run things. But you don't see them up front. You don't see them bragging. But I tell you what, the food doesn't walk in here on its own when we're here on Sunday. The Bibles didn't get bought on their own. They didn't just come out of the store and walk into Barah Ministries. All the swag we have, somebody bought that. The rent is being paid by somebody behind the scenes. $2,200 a month. Amen? Yeah, we just come in here and take it for Oh, I wonder how the tablecloths got on. They got bought and they got put on. And when they didn't like the color, they bought other ones. They get washed every week. There's somebody who cleans up this place every week. You know it's always clean. You don't see any dust anywhere. But ain't nobody telling you who it is. Oh, well, we'd like to thank Sister Joan for vacuuming the floor. And we'd like to thank Brother Rayford for buying the Bibles. Don't worry about it, though, child. It was on sale, $25 a piece, normally 50 amen? <laughs> I'm sorry I'm taking you guys back to those churches you were in that were the churches from hell. I tell you, God is going to bless you, child. You send us a dollar ninety-five cents, and we'll send you absolutely free, a touch from God. The Lord does not want Christians thinking and acting like the world acts. He doesn't want us to be a reflection of the world. 1 Corinthians 12, 24. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacks so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. God expects that the lesser members of the congregation be treated well and taken care of well by the greater members of the congregation. Do we? Yeah, here at Barah Ministries we do. When we return from the break, we'll take the offering and then we'll finish up our study of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Take a five-minute break. Why you ever chose me has always been a mystery. All my life I've been told I belong at the end of the line. Will all the other not quite? Will all the never get it right? But it turns out they're the ones you were looking for all this time. Cause I'm just a nobody. Fight. You picked 12 outsiders, nobody would 
chosen and you changed the world Well, the moral of the story is Everybody's got a purpose So when I hear that devil start talking to me Saying, who do you think you are? I say, I'm just a nobody
Welcome back. In Luke chapter 6, verse 38, the Lord says, Oh, today's Bible lesson, God prefers that we value differences between each other. The Lord, God prefers the, that we value differences between each other. Give me that. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. (laughs) That's right. That's right on. (laughs) All right, today's Bible lesson, God prefers that we value differences between each other. In Luke chapter 6, verse 38, the Lord says, Give, and it will be given back to you. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. In return, when it comes to life and to giving, our Lord always reinforces the sowing reaping theme. When you give generously, God always rewards your generosity with much more abundance. Thank you for always being so generous and for making Barah Ministries the recipient of your sowing. You're helping reap souls for Christ all throughout the world. Let's welcome up Deacon Denny Goodall with one of his always inspiring offering messages. Good morning. My name is Denny Goodall, and I'm blessed to be a deacon for Barah Ministries. Barah Ministries is a worldwide Christian church. This is a place for real people who want to listen to a real pastor teach the real... The, the real word of God, which we see in the Bible. And this place is a beacon of hope. This is a place to come and get hope. And I've been thinking a lot about lately about hope because I see my children, they wake up each day and they're just excited and happy. You know, I wake up, I'm grumpy, and oh, I gotta go to work, I have no hope. And they wake up just with hope. And we see in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, I, Paul, pray that the eyes of your heart, believers in Christ, may keep on being enlightened so that you may have true insight into God's thinking, so that you will know for a fact what is the present hope of God's calling, God the Father's calling you to salvation, and what are the glorious riches that are yours in the future, his inheritance for the saints. So I think with life it's really easy to forget about our hope that we have now, and our hope that we have in the future, and our hope that we have in our inheritance in Christ. And I think as we grow through life, we we tend to lose hope. And I think children, they grow up and they just expect it. And then they see their parents come through, so they, they learn to have confidence in their parents. And so they deserve confidence of that hope. And then when they see that build and build over time, they just trust in their parents. They trust in that hope of their parents. And I think as adults, we forget to do that with God. We forget that hope is one of the key parts. You know, we think about grace and love, but all those, those two things are lost without hope. We forget that hope is really the, one of the key things. We forget that having hope in each other and having hope in this ministry. I mean, I remember when this ministry was just in a little raggedy movie room at a house somewhere, and it's come very far to this nice room that we have, this nice facility. And it's just like Pastor, you know, in college, he had no hope finding girlfriends. Talked about it. <laughs> Talked about the eyebrows, you know, and the hairy armpits, the bad grooming habits, you know. And so he can have, he can have hope 
about future girlfriends, that he can come out of that. He can, we can see him, him expect it, and then he can build confidence in it, and then he can trust that he will one day have a non-hairy girlfriend or spouse, whatever. And so in the same way, we can hope through this ministry that it can go from a raggedy room at a house to a nice facility that can have a, to be a true beacon for hope for everybody. So thank you very much for always giving, and just remember to have hope in each other, hope in yourself, and ultimately hope in Christ. So thank you very much. Thank you, Deacon Denny. You know, uh, uh, well, uh, let me put this up first. The, today's Bible lesson, God prefers that we value differences between each other. So I, I know that, you know, God loves the two-eyebrow people, and God loves the one-eyebrow people with hairy underarms. Amen? However, and, and by the way, one of the reasons I had the one-eyebrow girlfriends is because I used to have one eyebrow for a really long time. They called me the unibrower. And uh, so, but a friend of mine helped me. Uh, she said, you know what, everybody deserves two eyebrows. And so she took me to a place where I could get waxed, and I've had two eyebrows ever since. Isn't that awesome? It is, but God loves everybody, right? And by the way, you know, the thing you said, Deacon Denny, if you live in Europe, you cannot get a not hairy woman. That's just the way it is. It's just, they're all hairy in Europe. All right, so back to our lesson. Today's Bible lesson, God prefers that we value differences between each other. Continuing at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 26, it says, And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members 
rejoice with it. 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Now you Corinthian believers are Christ's body, and individually you are members of his body. So the whole purpose of a church is to be a classroom for unconditional love, forgiveness, and grace. I don't believe you had me. So, let me repeat it. The whole purpose of a church is to be the classroom for unconditional love, forgiveness, and grace. So, if you talk to people who don't go to church, most of them will tell you that some person turned them off and they stopped coming to church. That's why we come to church. To get turned off by people so that we can then exercise unconditional love, forgiveness, and grace. Well, Pastor, I don't believe that I have to come to church to worship God. You don't. But you have to come to church to be able to exercise unconditional love, forgiveness, and grace. You have to be around people. And that's one of the things that I don't like about the millennials. The millennial generation, my, my son's generation, are always alone. They're alone with their video games. They're alone with their phones. They're staring into the phone, and everything is this. And this is their world, the inanimate world. But relationships, secondary. So you see two millennials out on a date, and they're both into their phones. They're not talking to each other. That is not how God designed us. But it is perfection in Satan's kingdom. Because that's exactly what he wants. Because what you'd learn in the military is that the worst thing you could ever be is alone. They don't ever want a situation where you're by yourself. There's strength in numbers. And so what are we training our kids to do? We're training our kids to go right to the electronic devices because that's a great babysitter and we don't have to pay any attention to them so we can go do what we want. And so we've turned into this selfish culture because we as Christians are blending right in to Satan's divisive kingdom. And if you're a parent who stands out, I spanked my kids. You spank your kids? I can't believe it. Why don't you just give them a time out? Okay, well, from 0 to 12, you are your kid's world from 0 to 12. When you give them a time out, do you know how they perceive it? They perceive it as a withdrawal of love, which is the most destructive thing you could ever do to a child, is give them a time out. It's destructive. Well, what is time out designed for? For teenagers, and it's designed to take away their privileges. That's what a time out is for teenagers. You take away their privileges as a form of discipline. Nobody ever taught you that? You heard Dr. Spock say time out. You did Dr. Spock. You didn't even research it. But I, as a parent, when I talk to people about my parenting, boy, you were quite unorthodox. I was. I threatened to kill one of my kids and throw him over a balcony off the 35th floor in Hawaii because he wouldn't speak up. And I wanted him to learn that he has a voice and he needs to use it and to speak up to me. And not treat me like, oh, you're up here and I'm down here with, I'm the lowly and I'm afraid of you and I can't have my own voice. There's a time when that has to end. And I was willing to kill him to help him. 
And I guarantee you, he would have used his voice on the way down. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Amen? But that's parenting. It, it's unorthodox. And that's what we do as parents. We use extreme measures to do what? To develop the person so that they have an adult soul to match their adult body when they leave the house. You don't want to send kids out of your house with a child soul and an adult body. So the millennials irritate me with their isolationism. Just as God orchestrates how the physical body works together, he orchestrates how the body of Christ ought to work together, and the functional word is together. Well, here are some of the spiritual gifts that God has placed in the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28. God the Father, the planner of the, of the plan for mankind, has appointed in the church first apostles. That gift is no longer in play. Though, to be an apostle, you have to have seen the resurrected Christ. That gift is no longer in play. Prophets, that gift is no longer in play. Those were people who could predict the future. Third, teachers. There's the top of the list right now. Then miraculous deeds. Then grace gifts of healings. And I don't mean Benny Hinn. Then helpful deeds. The gift of helps. Then administration, which isn't just uh, the tedious things of a ministry, but it's guidance for the community. And then various kinds of tongues. Now, those who have the spiritual gift of tongues are no more special than those who have the other spiritual gifts, although in the Corinthian church, the tongues crowd flaunted themselves as better than those with the lesser gifts. This is not an inclusive list of spiritual gifts, but it is an important list. And notice that tongues, the spiritual gift being flaunted by the elite of the Corinthian church as special, is listed last. That is not a coincidence. A spiritual gift is effective to the degree that it does God's will. I don't believe you heard me. So I'm going to repeat that. A spiritual gift is effective to the degree that it does God's will. Well, what is God's will? 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 say, This is what is good and acceptable in the sight of the God who is our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who wants all men to be saved and who wants all men to come to the knowledge of the truth. Even the most powerful spiritual gift is ineffective if the other gifts are missing. A pastor-teacher is critical to a congregation, perhaps like the brain or the heart, but he needs the congregation members and their spiritual gifts to function. The congregation members are the lungs. What's a brain without oxygen? What's a heart without oxygen? I've always threatened you guys. I say, hey, you don't want to be here. I'll teach the blank seats, and I will. But that's not how a congregation is designed to function. By the way, our spiritual gifts are functions, not people. Like in the beginning of this whole chapter, the spiritually gifted ones, the elite. It is the gifts that are special, not the people. 1 Corinthians 12, 29. All are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? 1 Corinthians 12.30 All do not have the gift of healing, do they? All don't speak with tongues, do they? And all don't interpret, do they? Paul concludes with a thought he will elaborate on in chapter 13, 1 Corinthians 12.31 
but keep on earnestly desiring the use of the greater grace spiritual gifts, pursuing the use of these gifts with fervor, the fervor of a zealot. And I show you still a more excellent way to use your fervor. What's that more excellent way? It's not elitism. That is not the more excellent way. Unconditional love in the use of spiritual gifts is the more excellent way that Paul will develop in chapter 13. We are one body. We are many members. Christ is the head. The church is the body. So how are we to live? 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Elitism is not Christ. Destroy it. God prefers that we value the differences between each other. Well, the closing moments of this study are a reminder that God wants you. And what God wants from you is for you to make the most important decision of your life, the decision for Christ. There is a person at the very core of Christianity who cares about you, Jesus Christ. He is the sovereign God of the universe. He is the truth, and he is God. He is deity. And the good news for you is that God wants a relationship with you. This is your chance to have a personal relationship with him. The bad news is that you were born a sinner, and sinners need a Savior. The Savior is Jesus Christ, and he wants you to be saved. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. This is what's good and acceptable in the sight of the God who is our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who desires all men to be saved and who desires for all men to come to the knowledge of the truth. You will spend eternity in the lake of fire at physical death if you choose not to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. There is only one way to get to heaven, by placing your faith in what Jesus Christ has done at the cross on your behalf. If you're going to place your confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ for your eternal salvation, you probably should get to know him as soon as you can. And while there are many things to know about him, here are a few of the critical things to know about him. The Lord Jesus Christ is your creator. John chapter 1 verse 3 says this, All things came into being through the Lord, God the Son, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. The Lord Jesus Christ loves you unconditionally. 1 John chapter 4 verse 8 says this, The one who does not love unconditionally doesn't know the Lord, for the Lord is unconditional love. It's his person, it's his identity. The Lord Jesus Christ has already forgiven all your sins, past, present, and future. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 25 says this, I, even I, the Lord, am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. The Lord does not want you to work to please him, Romans chapter 11, verse 6 says, If salvation is by grace, and of course it is, it is no longer on the basis of your works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. The Lord Jesus Christ doesn't want you to go to the lake of fire. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says this, The Lord is not slow about his promise of salvation, 
as some accuse him of. Instead, he is patient toward unbelievers, not wishing for any of you to perish in the lake of fire, but for all of you to come to repentance, which is a change of mind about having a relationship with Jesus Christ. The Lord is the perfect person to lead you to salvation. God's graciousness offers you the chance to be saved as a free gift. So how can you get to heaven? This loving, forgiving, patient God who wants you to be saved is willing to save you right this minute. John chapter 14, verse 6 says this, Jesus said to the doubting apostle Thomas, I am the way to salvation, I am the truth through the word of God, and I am the resurrection life, eternal life. And no one comes to God the Father in heaven, but through believing in me. Right where you sit, right now, you can tell God the Father that you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that is the moment of eternal life for you. Acts chapter 16, verse 31 says, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and everyone in your household who also believes. So heed the warning in John chapter 3, verse 36. He who believes in the Son has the resurrection life right at that moment. But he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son will not see the resurrection life. Instead, the wrath of God, the lake of fire, abides on him. Who is the God that saves you? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. I, Paul, delivered to you as of first importance the gospel message, the good news I also received that it was Jesus Christ who died for our sins according to the scriptures, and he was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day according to the scriptures. When you get to know Jesus Christ, you'll have no problem placing your confidence in him, both for your salvation and for everything else. Why? Because you'll know that the sovereign God of the universe wants a relationship with you. He loves you. He died for you. So you need to take advantage of his grace and you'll be saved right now. Well, let's close with music. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 to 6 say this. There is one body, the body of Christ, and one Holy Spirit, just as also you were called by God the Father and one hope of your calling to salvation. Ephesians 4, 5. There is one Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior, one faith, Christianity, one baptism, the baptism of the Spirit, Ephesians 4, 6, and one God, the Father of all mankind, who is sovereign over all, who is living through all, and who is indwelling all, manifesting himself. When you get to know... That's not right. Here's June Murphy to sing. There's just one hope. One way. 
is only one hope for the world is Jesus is Jesus Christ is Jesus Christ the end of that song really goes there's only one way to get to heaven it's Jesus. Thank yeah. No problem. It's helping you out. I know. <laughs> Stay in my lane. Great. Great. Hey, you were listening. Awesome. All right. Yeah, I need the uh, to-dum bump over here. All right. <laughs> that was beautiful. <laughs> a doxology of praise to our God, Romans 5, 15, 5. Now may the God who gives endurance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another, that is to think the exact same way, operating in harmony, according to your union with Christ Jesus, Romans fifteen six. so that with one accord you believers in Christ may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 15, 7. Therefore, keep on accepting one another, keep on receiving one another, just as Christ also keeps on accepting us in unconditional love to the glory of God the Father. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father, we just thank you for everything you do for us. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for sending your Son to be our Savior, to die for us, to pay for all our sins, and to cover our sins with his blood. We thank you for God the Holy Spirit and his direction. And we pray that as you pour your word into us, that we will take it and use it to bring more people to Christ, one person at a time, and to get them to see the significance of one single decision that has eternal consequences. Believing in Christ and an eternity in heaven. And we ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Say it with me. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming. Thanks for watching. And thanks.